0: Welcome to the Intentional Encourager Podcast, where each episode brings you compelling conversations and stories designed to entertain, enlighten, and encourage. And now, here's your host, Brian Sexton. Hey, everybody, Brian Sexton. You know what's really important to me when I do business with a company is trust and transparency. I've been telling you now for a good while about my buddy Damon Burton and his company, SEO National, because trust and transparency are just as important to them. You know, for the last 15 years, in the search engine optimization space, they have been leading the way and serving people tremendously well. Now, for those of you that don't know what SEO is, it stands for search engine optimization. It helps you show up higher on Google searches so that folks that are looking for what you have find you quicker. And you know what's really encouraging? More revenue, more sales, growing your business. Do me a favor, get in touch with Damon and his team today at SEO National at 855-736-6285 or go to seonational.com and get your free quote and tell them you heard it on the Intentional Encourager podcast. I hope you're ready because here comes a dynamite conversation on the Intentional Encourager podcast. And welcome into the Intentional Encourager podcast. I'm your host, Brian Sexton. Thank you for joining us again today. I'm going to tell you a story from my guest today, Mark Sowersby. He has a story that is powerful and he's also an author. He's written a book called Forgiving the Nightmare. We'll tell you how to get his book. If you're watching on YouTube, you can see his book in the background, but it is my honor to welcome. He's also a pastor as well, too, so this is close to my heart. Um, as as you guys know, my dad was a pastor the last three and a half years of his life. I'm very uh, purposeful about the ministry, and it's my honor to welcome Mark Sowersby to the Intentional Encourager podcast. Mark, how are you doing? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me on today. I appreciate you coming on today. Let me start here, and, I, and I've started here, gosh, in... in you know, um, as we were setting up this time together, I sent you a link. I said, "Hey, check out the podcast so you're not um so you're not because some people when they come on a podcast, this format is a little bit different than than most other formats because I believe it I don't want folks to witness an interrogation. I want them to be part of a conversation right. and so, let me start here for the last couple of years, obviously, we've gone through the COVID-19 pandemic in in vastly different ways. I know living in West Virginia, as I live in West Virginia, it's been different for us there as it's probably been. You live in Massachusetts. Share with me a lesson that you've learned from the last couple of years going through the pandemic, either personally, professionally. And once we get through this, I I do believe, and I'm going to continue to, 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 I don't know how to quite say it. I'm going to continue to to, to say it this way. I am, I believe we're going to get out of this pandemic. I really Amen. do. Amen, I agree with I, you. I really, I really think this is going to be over very soon. But what lesson have you learned that you'll take with you after this is all over?
1: Well, that's a great question. I thank you for asking me. I think there's three things that I've learned during this pandemic. I've kind of always known them, but they became really evident over the last uh, couple of years, why we've been dealing with this. First is to be content. You know, I've chased after many things in my life, but I think I had to be content with what I have, be happy with what I have and what I'm doing. Second, to be patient, Uh, to be patient. Sometimes I'm the guy looking for the next thing. And I had to be patient and let things unfold and open up and go through processes. And then to celebrate our victories in inches, maybe instead of miles, if you would. I'd have to take uh, allow myself to celebrate the small things as much as allow myself to celebrate the big things. So those are the three things that I think I've taken away is to be patient, is to be content, and to celebrate those things that that the Lord has put in front of us that faith helps us walk through. So those small hmm. things, you know, a laugh of a child, a, a moment with a family, those things.
0: No, that's, that's so good, Mark, because again, I, I think people lost sight of... Those small things. And I love what you said there about celebrating big and small things. And you and you and I were talking a little football before we got started. I, you know, I, I'm a lifelong Cincinnati Bengals fan. Lifelong Cincinnati Bengals fan. This year, as a Bengals fan, we're celebrating going to the playoffs for the first time in, in six years. You as a lifelong Patriots fan, they've had as many Super Bowls as the Bengals have had. Playoff appearances in the last 20 years. And so it's been vastly different. When you think about the word celebrating, because people celebrate differently. Sure. When you, when you think about that, how do you celebrate big and small things? What does a celebration look like to you? You
1: know, first, once you told everybody, I'm a Patriot fan, you just lost half of your audience. No,
0: I'm just teasing. Well, it's, it's with the other half, the other half left when I told him I was a lifelong Bengals fan. So. Well, that, that might be true. I don't know. Even though <laughs> yeah. you know
1: they feel sympathy for you and anger towards me. I don't know. You know, we did get rid of Tom. You know Tom something?
0: I, I will tell you this. And, and, and I want you to answer the, you know, I want to, I want to sure. get to that, sure. to that thought. But I'll tell you this. I told my son. Who's a a Green Bay Packers fan? I tried my best to raise him as a Bengals fan.
1: House divided cannot stand. I know that's right.
0: Well, especially when the Packers visited Cincinnati this year and it was a three point overtime win for the Pack. But I told my son this the other day I said, You have all of your life that you've been rooting for the Packers. You've had that dude playing quarterback in Aaron Rodgers. You, as a Patriots fan, for the last twenty years, before the last couple of years, had that dude playing quarterback? Uh, arguably, the greatest quarterback of all time at Tom Brady. I would agree. For the first time in a, in a long time, and maybe you know people will say Carson Palmer, and eh, maybe, but for me in my lifetime, that dude was Boomer Esiason, sure, the the, the legendary Bengals, Jets, Cardinals quarterback, now a, a, a television analyst. And I said, now for the first time in a long time, Bengals fans have that dude in Joe Burrow. Sure. That guy that you just when he trots out on the field, you're confident that, you know, he's he's gonna, he's gonna lead your team to a win. So so that's a great place to jump back to what we were talking about just a minute ago and celebrating. Sure. You know, because again, you celebrate great wins, losses hit you you know, it losses hit you differently. I do. I do. How do you celebrate those big and small victories in your life?
1: Well, I think we just were right. We were celebrating our teams. We were corresponding. We were talking about, we were reminiscing. We were throwing, you know, we were talking, we were celebrating. We were sharing life and an interest together. So I think that's one form of celebration, being a man of faith, being a believer in the Lord. I believe there's this celebration before the Lord that, that's a shout and a, and a and just a joyful celebration. but I think celebrations in all all kinds of forms you know sometimes it's quiet and just really reflective sometimes it's loud and expressive sometimes it's conversational like we are now. so I don't think the format of how one celebrates, is the biggest issue. It's that we find celebration in those moments. Again, those little things when a child looks at you or speaks to you, your own child just gives you the humbleness of being a parent again. And in those big moments where you and your wife overcome or pay off a bill or something like that, where those moments in life is a big celebration. But I think it's important to always celebrate uh, the beauty, the hope, the love, the grace that's found in the Lord and and how he pours out before all of us.
0: Well, you you just hit on something really, really great, Mark. And that is the moments of celebration, the birth of a child, sure. a marriage, um, a promotion, Tho- those moments, you know, when you watch your children do something athletically or academically, sure. those moments, you know, we as we record this. A couple of weeks ago, we had Christmas and New Year's, and those are cel- those are moments of celebration. Sure. And, and I want to see, you know, I, I don't think. Let Let me step in, and, and for those, I'm going to step to the faith element of this for just a minute, and, and we'll kind of because again, you don't have to be a Christian to understand the faith part of this, but you know, again, I, I think celebration is something that, that is hardwired into humans by God, our divine creator, to where there is just a euphoria, a joy, a, a, and you can't help it because it, it's hardwired into your DNA. I, agree. I even, agree. Even those people, and we will get into your story no of problem. what you overcame. Even at times... When people are going through bouts of depression, bouts of fear, anxiety, all the different emotions we've seen in the last two years around this pandemic, we can still find reasons and things to celebrate. Now let's, now let's, let's, let's attack that from the faith element for just a minute. When we, when we think about, when when you think about the things that you've overcome in your life, and the, the victories that God has allowed you to have. Yes. What type of celebration happens? Is it a celebrate? Is it tears of joy? Is it euphoria? Because we celebrate in different ways. Some people, and you'll, you watch and forgive me for the long-winded question, no, no, please, but please, we'll please watch, we'll, we'll watch a sporting event and, and, and a, a big victory moves people in different ways. Some people are moved to tears. Sure. Where they're just so emotional, like if if a player or something like that, all the hard work, or if they've overcome an injury, they're moved to tears because they 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 get a chance to celebrate something they've overcome, and they're just so great. They're just so moved with gratitude that it that it comes out in waves of tears of joy, or or just a breakdown, a joyful breakdown. Some people just jump and they're just exuberant and they're just, they, they go nuts. They go wild. Sure. Um, they they just don't know how to contain themselves. They are just overcome with joy. They're running around like a child, you know, on crit, on, you know, just skipping and laughing and, and it comes in different waves. As you think about the things that you've overcome, which emotion in celebration hits you more? Is it the tears of joy or is it the exuberance? I,
1: I'd i have to say it's been all of the above when you've overcome a situation like that. And that's what the story of forgiving the nightmare is. It's a journey. And in that journey, I celebrate the overcoming of what Christ has done in me, but each one has its own kind of nucleus its own kind of story its own kind of narrative so there's moments in the journey that it's just been tears where i have a revelation of a, a personal then there's been times when it's been exciting and celebration with a shout naturally i'm an extrovert i tell my church i am i'm i'm really close to being the guy who paints his body and goes to the patriot game i mean i'm that kind of guy but you know, <laughs>
0: Nobody wants to see that out of me. Yeah, yeah. Nobody wants to
1: see it, but in my head, I'm that guy, you know. But so naturally, that's my personality. But in the journey that the Lord has brought me on through forgiveness, there have been moments where it has been public and it's been and it's been a celebration with others, and and then there's been the quiet revelation ones where it's been at the altar and it's just been me and God, and God has dropped a a promise or a word in my heart. So you know, I think that I wish I could say it was always like this or like that, but I think just, just like any journey in life, there's different expressions of that, uh, joy. There's different expressions of that, that, um, responsibility or that duty, if you would. So, uh, you know, it's been a, it's been a journey and there's been as moments as I've gotten as high as I've gotten low. You know, there's been moments where I've, cried out of frustration and shook my hands to God and say, where are you? And then there's moments where I've lifted my hands to God and say, thank you. So, you know, that's the journey where celebration has been a big part of it and realizing to celebrate everything that God has done or we're all doing. I like how you said earlier that it's wired in us. I think when we think about the word of God, we remember what it tells us in Ecclesiastes that there is a season for all men. A season to heaven for all things, and there's a season to dance, a season to shout, a season to celebrate. So,
0: no, I love that because, again, you know, and, and we've talked about the the football metaphor. Yeah, you know, a lot of team, you, you don't pour the Gatorade bucket over the coach's head in the second quarter with seven minutes to go. No, and, and you you may be up by a field goal. That that's not the time to celebrate nothing's been, nothing's been won yet. You may have the lead, but you don't have the victory. That's true. And there's a difference in, in, in having a lead and having a victory. And so again, you know, that I love what you said about the seasons of celebration. So let let me, let's step aside, take a break here real quick, because I want to leave room and space for Mark's story. And when we come back, we're going to talk about the book, forgiving the nightmare. I want to talk about the process. We're going to talk about the process of writing the book and kind of what you can expect when you get into it. My guest is author, pastor, Mark Soresby, and he has got a dynamic conversation for us. Hang on, I'm telling you. Hang on. It's going to be good. But let's take a little break. We come back. We'll get into the process around his book, Forgiving the Nightmare. Mark Soresby joins me on the Intentional Encourager podcast. You come back in just a moment. Hey everybody, Brian Sexton here. The new year is upon us and you may be sitting there thinking, hey, I would really love to pay off some debt or I would like to save for that dream vacation. Maybe you want to buy a new car, whatever it is you want to do financially in the coming year. Let me give you a great piece of intentional encouragement and something to think about that might help you do it products for profit now this is a course taught by my good friend joe hart who's been a guest on the intentional encourager podcast and has told his story how reselling changed his life and you know what folks it could do the same thing for you too it's really simple reselling is basically buying a product and then reselling it online for more money and joe is going to take you through the steps and show you how to do this either part-time or maybe as some of his students have done take this full-time as well go to coachjoe 89.gumroad.com backslash L backslash premium PFP. And oh, by the way, this group is going to help you find leads of products that are profitable right now, give you all kinds of great intentional encouragement, and you're going to be surrounded by a community of people that are going to want to see you be successful in the reselling game. Again, go to Coach Joe89 dot gumroad.com backslash L backslash premium PFP and tell him you heard about it on the intentional encourager podcast. And now let's get back to more great conversation here on the intentional encourager podcast. Mark, let's talk about your book. And and again, I, I wrote my first book in 2020 and I wrote it about the impact of my dad. And so you talk about your book and and i want to save the the story for for the the last segment but for you take me through the process was this your first book was it something you'd always wanted to do take me through the process of writing your book forgiving the nightmare
1: i'm happy to it's quite the story i am a dyslexic by nature that's a a struggle i have i see words backwards inside and now upside and down and it's something I've struggled with my whole life. Education, academia was always the monster or the giant of my life. I was intimidated by it. I ran from it. I always felt insecure insecure in front of it. And I did manage by the grace of God to go to a, a local Bible college. And by the love and the mercy of people, I, I was able to graduate with a BA degree. It was the longest six years, five years, four years of my life uh, graduating from that degree. But I'll tell you, God put in my heart that I would write this book and I'll never forget where I was. I was on a team uh, representing our school. We were praying in Canada one night. I was at an altar as we do in our tradition and people were coming down to the altar and I was praying over them. And right there, the Lord put in my heart that I would write a book. And I kind of laughed because here's this dyslexic that graduated high school at a third grade reading level. And I said, Lord, if I'm going to write a book, what are you going to call it? And there is a young man, uh, he put those words in my heart, forgiving the nightmare. I'm I'm over 50 now, and I've wrestled with that to say, Lord, how will it come out of me? What would it look like? What does it sound like? What is this promise of forgiving the nightmare? And the Lord just placed again in my heart that I'd write a book. And I came to those pages with that same insecurity, that same uh, fear. But by the yeah. grace of God, I was able to write it. And it took me probably 20 steps than it, longer than it should have, but... I poured my heart. Every word of the book was weighted with the grace and mercy. And I wrote the book to somebody like me. Somebody who's been through some nightmares, some pains, some regrets, some hurts, some some difficult times. But also somebody uh, that that may be struggling, you know, with reading. I was always a guy who struggled with reading. You could hand me a volume of books and say, Mark, the answers in this, these volumes, you just have to read it. I was too intimidated. I would have never read it. So I kind of wrote the book to a guy like me, you know, it's an airplane book. It's a, it's a rest, a pit stop book. It's, it's yeah. something It's a great read. It's not a long read. I like to think it's a deep read, but it's not a long read. That's how I kind of, cause that's what I want well,
0: to fact- Mark, You bring up a great point. Okay. And, and the point I would make off of that is the King James Bible was written or translated for And a lot of people have said that prisoners, people incarcerated, have learned to read by reading a King James Bible because it was written at about a fifth or a sixth grade level. Sure. You know, that's what people miss about. And and that's my that's my favorite translation of the Bible, is the King James Bible. And people go, well, I have a hard time getting through the these, thous, and eths, and, and begats, and begotten. And, you know, but but again, you have to understand it's written and you, you can you can like whatever translation you want to. I'm just saying for me, I don't have a problem with the Z's and D's and yes and, and things like that because I know the simplicity of the translation it was written at. I'm like, okay, if I can't get through a translation written through a fifth grade level, I have I you know, I, I have a bachelor's and a master's degree, you know, and, and so it's for me, it's like a well. <laughs> If I can't get through that, what can I get through? Sure, in reading that, and so yeah, I love that that you you talked about that. When when did you know right away when that young man came to you with the title "Forgiving"? Did you know right away that was it, or did you, did it have to marinate in your mind a little bit?
1: Well the the name the name for giving was was immediate. I knew that something because I was having a long internal argument, conversation, prayer, whatever word you want to have. I was having it with the Lord. And and I was, because I was so intimidated with academia. I mean, every day I spent in college, I I was just felt like the least, that I I was the least important person there. I'll never forget my first day of school, they handed me syllabi, What's required in the course. And I went back to my dorm room and cried because I never heard of a syllabi. So I was in special ed. I was the guy in the small bus. You know, I was I was that guy. And then I wrestled with my faith, with my walk with God. But I remember being in my early 20s. And really I, I felt impressed by the Holy Spirit, as we say in my circles. And, and to say Are so you gonna go Mark,
0: to- I gotta jump in here. So sure. so you so you you're you're a special ed student, as we yep. say, special education student. Yep, yep. All of your life. All my so life. academics has always been a challenge for you. Oh, So what prompted, what, what prompted you to want to go to Bible college? The Lord,
1: the Lord. Yeah. It's, you know, I really believe that through uh, the spirit of the Lord, uh, speaking to my heart, encouraging me through my pastors, encouraging me through the the word that I could uh, read a little bit of. I really felt like the Lord was saying, you know, I'm calling you, calling you choose this day whom you will serve. I've called you and I'll make a way. So I had to step out in faith. I was in my early twenties. I stepped out and I went, signed up for the local Bible college. And I actually talk about that in the book and how the day I got there, I went to visit the dean. And I thought he would reject me because uh, I, you know, I'm a special ed student. And he got up from his desk and he introduced me to a woman that got there several weeks earlier than I did just to tell me uh, she got there to start a learning center. And I was her first student in the learning center. And uh, she was a gift to me. She taught me how to be a student. She taught me how to study. She didn't put me in a category. She didn't just uh, hold me down. She allowed me. Now I needed help. i needed uh, I needed a lot of help. I had to take some reading courses and things like yeah, that. Yeah, but she gave me a lot of help.
0: So. Well, and I'll tell you this, um, you know, for me, for me, I, I never considered Bible college because I wasn't a preacher. You know, I, I grew up Pentecostal. I grew up apostolic Pentecostal, still am apostolic Pentecostal. And so for me, you know, I, I knew people that were going to Bible college, you know, people would kind of talk to me like, Hey, you, you want to think about Bible college? I'm like, nah, I'm going to Marshall. It's 10 minutes from the house. You know, I want to mark, I want to get it. I wanted to be a sports writer, believe it or not. I wanted to be a sports writer. I started out being a broadcast journalism major. And, and I thought, well, I want to, you know, I want to be the voice of somebody. And then switched to journalism and then ultimately to marketing. But I never had that desire because I had other people telling me, you should go to Bible college. You're going to be a preacher. I didn't get the call to preach in my own life till I was 39 or 40 years old. Mm-hmm. And I'll be 50 in August. And so it came to me late in life for you. What was that drive and desire for you to want to go to Bible college?
1: Well, you know, I think the only healthy part of my life, uh, as we say in our circles, I'm a Pentecostal, I'm an Assembly of God guy. So I, I've always been, I grew up in the Assembly of God. The Assembly of God was a church that opened up their arms to me. So here's this broken 16-year-old kid that, that just lived seven years of child abuse of every form and every shape in my life. And I stumble into this youth group, and I think that's the first time I saw healthy people, not perfect people. Not by far, but but healthy people, people that showed me nucleus of of health and love and grace. But And I think out of that, some of the best examples in my life were my pastors or the leaders of my church, and they inspired me. Uh, obviously, I'd have to say that is the call of the Lord. Uh, somebody told me a long time ago, nobody goes into the ministry unless they're called or crazy. Yeah. And I had to be great a great point. <laughs> so it was the calling of the Lord and people go, well, how did you know? Is that still small voice? Is that quickening in my spirit? It was that I'll step out in faith. And that's you know kind what
0: of it was different. for me. I had a guy, I had a guy that came to our church. We we had a, we had a, a man, he was probably in his early seventies and he had a, a, a prophetic ministry mm-hmm. and it was a Monday night. And I just happened to be home that, that week because I traveled. Um, I covered six States in the South and I, and and my pastor said, are you going to be home? I said, as a matter of fact, yeah, I am. I'm going to be home this week. Mm -hmm. He said, good. Uh, you're tomorrow night. You're playing keyboard. Okay. I'll be here. And it was this man that looked at me. I'll never forget it. I'm sitting there at our keyboard and he goes, you're running from the call of God on your life. I hadn't talked to him about, feeling the calling of God in my life to preach or anything like that. But he knew, obviously he knew, obviously, you know, the Lord kind of dropped it, you know, the kind of like that, not, not necessarily just like that, kind of that Damascus road moment where the Lord just drops a big, you know, like, you know, spotlights on you. And, And again, so I understand that, you know, a lot of people, and I've said this, Mark, And I I don't want to veer off too far. No, it's okay. But I feel like a lot of people in ministry, and I make maybe somebody mad that hears this, but I don't. I don't really care. It feels like in a lot of places that we've turned a calling into a vocation. That's true. So it's you know you know because, um, and and especially in in you know, the organization that I'm in, again, I may offend somebody. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. You're offended, but this is, but this is what I believe is that we've had a lot of generational churches to where the the grandfather started the church, handed it off to his son who pastored for 25, 30 years. He handed it off to his son. And the one person they never consulted in the transition was God.
1: Mm
0: -hmm. It was just, it was kind of like a business, right? You know, you know, you're going to take over the business, and then your son's going to take over the business, and your son's going to take over the business, and, and, and it almost feels like in a lot of cases—and I'm not saying all cases—there no. are a lot of times where it's the will of God for that father to hand it to his son, and ultimately to go to the grandson. Okay, but there's a lot of cases where it's not, and it's treated like a family business. It's like, okay, we built this church, and it's going to stay in our family, and that's the way it's going to be, and nobody else is going to pastor this church except our family, and, and there's something wrong with that. It's like, did you ever consult God about it? Did you ask the Lord what he thought? And so I, I didn't mean to go off on a tangent no, there, no, it's fine. I love what you said about the examples of your life being youth pastor, pastor. It really seems like, as you're telling that story, that those men were walking in a calling and not a vocation.
1: Well, of was course. that
0: the kind of example that you had that 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 birthed that desire in you to to pursue the ministry?
1: Sure, yeah, that's exactly what it was. Honest, genuine. Again, not perfect people, but genuine people. That the call was, uh, the call is what you'd go after. The call keeps you. The call leads you. The call. It has always been before you. And, you know, I love that you shared that testimony about that man who came and and how you said he dropped it in his heart, but I would say it was been in your heart far, far longer than it was in his. And he just confirmed it was in your heart. And he spoke, you know, helped you say, yeah, God knows. And, and you know, I really love how you said that. And, and as far as picking the next leader, we look at Jesse, right? Uh, Saul comes to Jesse and says, Hey, Uh, I'm here to anoint the next king. And Jesse brings everybody out but David, because it can't be that guy. He's the little one. Well, everybody
0: thought the firstborn should always have the, the, you know, it always started with the firstborn in the Old Testament because that's the way it had always been. It was the way it was always, you know, it it was like Jacob with Reuben.
1: Yeah, exactly. You know,
0: it was Isaac with Esau. Uh Uh-huh, uh-huh. And so you know, I just, oh,
1: yeah, sorry. go ahead. Go ahead. Like I, said, Mark. I, just, I just read a quote the other day that said, My whole life, they've tried to teach me how to be a leader. I've gone to seminars, I've read books, I've, I've seen videos on how to be a leader. But the Bible just teaches me how to be a servant. And I think that's a powerful statement. Now, I understand about leading organizations, leading processes, and ministries. I understand that you can't be a fool about those things. But I think individually, it all starts by being a servant. Yeah, servant yeah. to the most high and in our servanthood is where we learn to lead. Jesus says that where we are weak, he is strong. And I think that's what, again, my story is about. I've been weak in many, many things, uh, but he is, he has been strong in, a, in my
0: life. This is a perfect place to jump off and get into your story. So let's step aside, take another break. Um, man, I love how this conversation is going. I didn't intend. Listen, folks, I did not intend. You, you might say, if I wanted to turn on to a religious broadcast, I'd have to turn on some preaching or something like it, or whatever. I'm just doing that in the best West Virginia voice I can do it in. You know, listen, I'm not going to apologize for being who I am. And, and I'm not going to apologize for having my guest be who he is. And so, but but again, there's a lot of practicality in in ministry and things like that. And I love what Mark left us with leading by serving, but let's get to Mark's story. The real reason I've got him on I've got speaker, author, pastor Mark Sorosby joining me on the Intentional Encourager podcast. You are going to want to come back, so don't go anywhere. We're back in just a moment here on the Intentional Encourage podcast. Hey everybody, Brian Sexton. I want to take a moment and tell you about my friend Harry Spate and his new book, Selling with Dignity. Harry has taken an age old concept of sales and he's put a new twist to it. And I love the direction that he's taken with selling with dignity. And here's what's encouraging about Harry's book Instead of viewing people as numbers and machines, salespeople are now given the tools and the encouragement to be dignified in their approach. Here's what Harry says He says, Selling is an honorable profession when it's done right. When sellers feel they're valuable and have integrity and respect. This opens the door for better conversations and eventually relationship. This book puts an end to sleazy sales tactics and proves why selling with dignity can be done and it leads to massive success. And I couldn't agree more. Go to sellingwithdignity.com. Get your copy today. And if you want Harry to sign it, he'll do that for you. Again, go to sellingwithdignity.com and pick up your copy today of the new book by Harry Spate, Selling with Dignity. And now let's get back to more great conversation here on the Intentional encourage your podcast. Mark, let's dive into your story, your book, forgiving the nightmare. Um, I want to step aside, let you take us through this journey. I may jump in with some questions, but please take us through, um, and I'll set this up this way. Mark shares in his book how he overcame years of horrific abuse during his childhood. Take us through your story.
1: Well, I first want to say that I wrote wrote this book because I think everybody has a nightmare. My nightmare, as you said, was child abuse. You're right. I was abused from the ages I was 7 to 14 in every way, shape, and form that one could think of. I was sold by uh men to be abused by other men i was burned i was cut i was abused i was raped i was beaten i was neglected i was forgotten and that's those leave scars your body heals but those leave scars of insecurities and fears and and just a bunch of junk in one's life and and it can last a lifetime and so when i penned my book i I said, you know what? Everybody has a nightmare. It may not all be abuse, and I hope it's not, but everybody in some way, shape, or form has had to overcome, has had to learn to forgive something, somebody, or some situation. So uh, that was my heart to say, not to glorify my past or say, oh, this is the only way, no matter what it is. I know there's pain and sorrow in people's lives. So the journey of forgiving a nightmare is more about forgiving than it is the nightmare. I mentioned the nightmare probably... Just to kind of show that, hey, I went through something too, but that's not the story. Well, here's the
0: thing, Mark, here's the thing. And and forgive me, I said I wasn't going to jump in, but I, I I had to jump in there. There are people in ministry that would say, man, why are you telling your story? You don't need to talk about that. You need to let that stay under the blood. So and I'm gonna use a term that we use in the church. Well, you need come to
1: on, that Preach just needs yeah, to stay on. under
0: the blood, brother. Come but on, bro. but but again, I believe God uses these things to connect somebody that is still dealing with that thing because we know how the enemy works. When we talk about the enemy, we're talking about Satan. Amen. Satan will use your past against you to destroy you because abuse can be a destructive thing if not either by the grace of God you you get delivered from it or or something happens where you're able to to set it aside and move forward. Did you ever have somebody tell you don't tell your story because it's it's too personal? how can a man of god stand and or tell the story that you were that you were child abused did you have somebody tell you not to write your book or tell your story
1: well i i definitely have come across that pattern of thinking i've definitely come across that that kind of concept where you know your new man your new creation brother you're under the blood the old is gone new has come uh, and, and again i think that my story will always be a part of me i can't deny that i was abused i can't deny that those things happened to me they they've never gone away they that happened it was a part of my story a part of my narrative and i think i wouldn't be honest with myself now i know god is greater he's bigger but i cannot deny those things happen i would say uh, whatever way you need to get help uh you know if it's if it's at the altar if it's with a if it's with a, a, a you know a therapist, if it's with a coach, a counselor, those are all great sources. And however one finds a way to get help, please do. God can use it all. Yeah. I would say in my life, uh being a being a Pentecostal preacher, I've seen many people come to the altar and they want the Holy Ghost Zap. You know, you know it, brother. Uh, yeah. you know, they want that moment where it all goes away. And maybe I searched for that moment. And one day I realized it wasn't going away. That I could still, even today speaking to you, I still remember the the pain, the hurt, the lies, the the rejection. But what happened in my life, that mountain of sorrow, that mountain of, of pain and hurt was so big and it cast out a shadow over everything I did when God became bigger. That's what happened. The other mountain didn't go away. That mountain didn't go away, but God became bigger than the sorrow. God became bigger than the hurt. God became bigger than the pain. That doesn't mean the pains never shows up. It doesn't mean the sorrow never shows up or or the anger never shows up. It means that mountain isn't overshadowing me anymore because God is bigger than all that. And that is the promise I live in.
0: How would would Pastor Mark minister? to 14 year old Mark as as a young as a young man because I was never abused as a child, you know, and and you've walked through that. And and, and I I know people that before they came to God, they had some terrible things sure. happen in their life. Sure. Have you ever thought about how you would now, if you were a youth minister, and fourteen-year-old Mark Sowersby walked into your church. Sure. How would how would you minister to him?
1: Well, I, I think I would try to do the best I can. Be honest. Be compassionate. Be listening. Uh, tell him it's okay. It's not his fault. Uh, let him know that there's resources and people there to help, advocacies and and different organizations there to come beside. I like to tell people in my personal story, I think I came from one of the last generations where it was still, this stuff was behind closed doors. Uh, I think me, I was, it was the mid seventies to the early eighties and the advocacy that and the awareness and the people that were willing to help as, as wonderful it is today. there wasn't as much of it then I'm not saying it wasn't there, but it wasn't as much. And I think I came from that generation. It was like. Well, things happen behind closed doors and we keep behind closed doors. That's, and I, and unfortunately it allowed abuses to be greater than it should be. And I think I came from that last group. Now there's so much support for those, but again, the broken person doesn't know where to find that support. The broken person doesn't know that that supports there for them. The broken person's afraid of that support. Are you just going to hurt me again? So I think if somebody came in, I try to plug them in and walk with them not only spiritually with prayer and the God of word, but with the practical side, with, with advocacy and counseling.
0: How did you, as an adult, did you, did you ever as an adult get the opportunity to confront your abusers? I and, I did. I and did. if so, how did you handle that situation? Because again, you, you, this happens to you from seven to 14, obviously. Physically, you, you changed a lot sure. and now you're an adult. And, and Mark, the reason I asked that question is I'm thinking, okay, 14 year old me and 24 year old me were two totally different people. Sure. I was, I looked like an offensive lineman when I was 24, I was about 300, I was about 330 pounds when I was 24. I would have sat on somebody's head and probably they, I would have probably choked somebody out if that had happened to me. And I would have been like, listen, you did this to me when I was a kid. I ain't a kid anymore. I'm going to choke you out. That would be, that would be the temptation of my heart because physically you're so, you're so imposing, you know, I had people not in, 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 and you'd ask my wife, she's like, he can't fight worth it. Worth a flip, but it looked like, I mean, I I wear my, I wear my Marshall class ring. And back then people thought on my bigger hand that I was an offensive lineman, you know, that, that I played, that I played offensive line at Marshall in college. And, and, you know, they would, they would say, you know, man, you're so, you know, and I know if that had happened to me, I would have just been like, man, life, you know, you're, you're going to pay for this. You, you said you got a chance to confront or, or, or maybe confront a strong word, but how did you deal with those people as an adult that, that abused you as a child?
1: Well, I think a couple of things you said, they're really interesting to me, how you talked about the 14 year old of you and the 24, not only did you grow physically, but you also probably had a different kind of structure emotionally, spiritually economically, and just psychologically that helped you become that 24 year old man. Not only did you grow in stature, but you grew in, in wisdom and you grew in, in, in just how you ration up when somebody in my case, when I was broken at 14, that brokenness at seven years old to 14, that brokenness stayed with me. So even though my body grew, even though my, my, my physical structure grew in it. I'm not as tall as you, you know, on a good day, I'm hitting five, six. So, you know, but I, 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 I still was broken in the other parts. I still wasn't, uh, you know, I was still broken psychologically. I was still broken, uh, emotionally. I was still, so I was still carrying a lot of, uh, wounds from the past. So I think when I finally was able to confront my abuser for, you know, I think that's probably a little bit. Uh, you know, I I thought like you. What, what am I going to do? Am I going to hit? Am I going to yell? Am I going to cry? Am I going to scream? Well, my my abuser is handicapped. Uh, my abuser is in a wheelchair. My bu- my abuser now is bedridden. Um, my abuser, you know, and I'd have to say that I felt pity. I felt pity upon my abuser that day. I wanted to feel righteous. I wanted yeah. to say ha ha
0: ha. You deserve. Look this. what you got. Yeah, uh, yeah, exactly.
1: But I, I, I did it. I felt, um, you know, I didn't feel, I didn't feel love. I didn't feel, um, you know, acceptance. Let me make sure I clear that. But I felt pity. I felt pity for that person. Like, wow, this is what, the, this is what you sowed, and this is what you're reaping, and um, the sorrow of life, uh, the the hurts of life, the rejection of life. And, and that's kind of what I felt.
0: Did your, did your family know what was happening to you? What was going on with the abuse? Or, or was it, because you mentioned, you said, man, in, in the 70s and early 80s, it was kind of behind closed doors. Did, did your family know what was going on?
1: My, my mother did. Uh, uh, my siblings did not learn until later on. My mother did because it was my mother's husband that actually abused me. Uh, My mother and I talk about her in my book, how she wrestled with her own uh, insecurities and fears and abuses in her life. So by the time my abuses began, she was just probably uh, unable to be able to even fathom something like that. So she dealt with them in an an unhealthy way. I'll say that. But uh, she didn't didn't know, uh, but as far as my siblings and my extended family, uh, they did not know. And the day it stopped in my life was the day I actually told an extended family. I, I actually talked about that. I told my uncle and I'll say the day my, my uncle who we lost several years ago to to cancer, he became my, he became my defender. And it was the first time I had somebody defend me. And I, know, it, it wasn't so much with a fist or a bat or with that, but it was a defender of Of somebody who stood up for me, somebody who believed me, somebody that was going to make sure it stopped. So at 14 years old, I, a broken kid, not knowing how, which way to go up, immature, um, kind of confused in life, uh, not knowing where to go. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, my uncle said, okay, it stops today. and, And it stopped. And I ended up spending a few years living with my uncle after that. And years got, my life got better. You know, I was born from an affair. My mother had an affair with my father and I didn't meet my natural father till I was 45. And I tell people that it was the right time in life to meet my birth father, because before that, I think I would have been uh, angry. Where were you? If you were in my life, maybe this wouldn't happen. Uh, What happened? Why did you not come around? And those are all real and genuine, genuine, genuine uh, statements. But I would say that when I met him, it was the right time in my life. I was older. I made enough of my own mistakes. I didn't need him to be daddy because I already had Abba, father. I didn't need a daddy. I just wanted to know him. I wanted to know, you know, what kind of sicknesses he had go through him, or what kind of life. Do you I really wanted to know was he bald. I'll be honest with you. That's what I wanted to know, and he wasn't. So, <laughs> uh, you know, me and my father got to know each other for about about five years before his passing. And wow wasn't warm and fuzzy but it was a text during a football game it was a yeah text. and at least i had a relationship and found out there's potential diabetes in my family and so forth and
0: yeah so forth. mark let me ask you this sure i want to go here for just a second and that is do you find yourself now with what you went through are you a more overprotective father Because of going through that. And and the reason I say that is I've talked to people that have gone through abuse like that. And they say, when I had kids, I had flashbacks and I was going to do everything that I could to protect them from, from everything that I went through. You know, if, if, you know, if somebody got a little too close to them, it would start, it would trigger those things. If, if somebody was a little, little affectionate, not meaning anything by it, but again, it it was like, Hey, back off because, you know, of those things that happened, did those feelings sever surface for you with your kids? I'm,
1: I'm sure they have, I'm sure because they can't, you know, they're a part of my story. I like to think of myself as kind of, um, uh, the dam, if you would. I grew up dysfunctional. I grew up with brokenness. My, my family and the generations behind me all grew up, uh, again, a lot of dysfunction, a lot of hurts and pains. And I like to think of myself as the last generation. I'm trying to pass on to my children to have the more stable, not perfect. Uh, I'm, I'm far from perfect, but the most stable childhood. They don't understand when I talk like this. And that's the best compliment to me. Uh, they don't understand the the things I've endured. They don't understand the pain I went through. And I don't want them to. They have to endure their own stuff, their own junk, their own valleys and mountaintops. But hopefully this is not one of them. So when I talk to you like this and my kids hear it, it's kind of like they know it in theory. Uh, And so thank God they don't, they don't know it in practice. You know, when my son was born and I talk about this in the book, when my son was born, obviously I became a father for the first time and I'm holding in my arms and I, and I can't believe how much I love this person, you know, that I'd give everything up for this person, this, this baby. And, and the enemy, as we mentioned earlier, spoke into my ear, if you would. And he said, no one ever loved you like this. Wow. And I started to weep. And I, you know, I started to think, why didn't anybody ever love me? And then the spirit of the Lord, the love of God just spoke to me again and said, but I always loved you. And, and I've given you life and life more abundant. And even though you've been through stuff, you're going to, you're going to, uh, you know, try to be the best dad I am. So I, I'm very conscious of how I am as a father. Yeah. I'm probably one, I, I'm, I'm the easy guy. My wife is the hammer, <laughs> you know, my yeah. wife, uh I'm Grace. She's yeah, lost. That's right.
0: <laughs> that's right. Yeah. Y- yeah. Y- your wife gets to be the heavy. Yeah. I yeah, understand. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I get yeah. it. Well, Mark, I would be remiss, and thank you for being so transparent. By the way. Sure. And and folks, you need to get a copy of this book for the nightmare. Mark, I want you to share with with me in this audience your biggest piece of intentional encouragement.
1: Trust the Lord. Trust the Lord. It's going to be the hardest. It's going to be the most difficult. It's going to be the best and most beautiful thing you can ever do is trust the Lord. Uh, it's it's not easy. Forgiving the nightmare uh, is a journey with lots of hills and valleys, ups and downs, weeps and joys. Uh, it will kick your can. It will make you celebrate. You have to die to self, but trust the Lord. Trust the Lord.
0: Well, the Bible, the Bible tells us, it's Psalm 37, 5. Trust in the Lord with all thine heart and lean not unto thine own understanding and in all thy ways acknowledge him and he shall direct thy paths. And listen, if there's anybody out there that has walked through, maybe you, maybe you had an abusive situation growing up. You've never been able to quite put it behind you. One, get a copy of of Mark's book, Forgiving the Nightmare, but two, start to trust in the one that has always loved you. From the moment, and you, you might say, Brian. Well, if, if the Lord always loved me, why would He let me go through that? Maybe it's because to help you later in life, to help you help somebody else, and maybe that's why Mark Sowers, be my guest, has had to walk through that so that he can help somebody else in life. Mark, share with the audience how they can connect with you, um, get the book. Um, what are some ways that people can connect with you?
1: Well, I do have a I do have a website called forgivingthenightmare.com, forgivingthenightmare.com. People can go there. Also, I'm on Facebook at Forgiving the Nightmare. So you can find us on Facebook. You can find us on the website. And also, if you're interested in buying a book, you can find it at Amazon. Just put uh, Forgiving the Nightmare on the Amazon Books, and you'll find it there. You can order it right off Amazon. So that's the kind of best three ways to get a hold of us and check us out is through Amazon, Forgiving the Nightmare, and our website, forgivingthenightmare.com.
0: Man, this has been so good. Mark Sowersby, what an honor it's been to, to allow us to tell your story. And man, I'm so grateful for the conversation. I've enjoyed the conversation. Thank you for being so transparent. Thank you for sharing your story. Thank you for letting people use what your experience, hopefully to get some encouragement and some help. And I so appreciate you joining me on the intentional courage podcast.